0: assurance you can know that you're going to heaven in this message learn more about what it means to know you have a relationship with jesus christ romans chapter 8 i think the book of romans is the greatest book in all the bible if i only had one book if i was stranded on a desert island if you will or a deserted island if you will um, and uh, somebody said you can only take one book of the Bible, I would take the book of Romans. If somebody said you can only take one chapter from one book of the Bible, I would take Romans chapter 8. One commentator called it, said this about it. The spiritual richness, both theological and practical, of this chapter is beyond calculation and surpasses adequate comment. When read by a believer with an open mind and an obedient heart, It is incredibly enriching. It's one of the supreme life changing chapters in Scripture. It moves along in an ever ascending course, concluding in the marvelous height of praise and assurance. Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39. Look there with me. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Romans chapter 8 is a phenomenal book. Wilmington's Guide to the Bible says this about Romans chapter 8. It's been observed that if the Bible were likened to a beautiful set, a ring set with jewels, the book of Romans would be the most beautiful jewel in the ring and the eighth chapter the most beautiful facet in the jewel. Romans chapter 8 is an amazing chapter in Scripture Romans chapter 8, I told you this a couple of weeks ago when we started in Romans chapter 8, that Romans chapter 1 through 7 mentions the Holy Spirit one time. Romans chapter 8 mentions the Holy Spirit or the Holy Ghost almost 20 times. I think it's 18 or 19 times. The Holy Ghost is often referred to as the third person in the Trinity. I want to be clear as we talk about because you'll see the word spirit several times in our text. The the Holy Spirit is often referred to as the third person in the Trinity. I want to be very clear that we understand that he is not third in rank. He is not third in power. He is not third in position or in authority. But in this, that he is... Most often, when he is mentioned, he is mentioned third, like Matthew 28, 19, going into all the world preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Or 1 John 5, 7, there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. He is mentioned third, and he uh, is spoken of less frequency, frequently in the Bible than the other uh, two uh, persons in the Trinity. The Holy Spirit it has a role in the Trinity of pointing people to Jesus Christ, of convicting people of sin, of drawing people to the Lord, and in truth of reflecting praise to God the Father and God the Son. The Holy Spirit is to the believer what God the creator is to the physical world. Without God the creator, God the father, the physical world would not not exist. Even this sinful world wouldn't exist. We exist by the grace and the omnipotence or the all-powerful nature of God. That's how we exist and that's why we exist. The Holy Spirit is to the believer just like God is to the physical world. He indwells us. He keeps us. And he sustains us. The Holy Spirit is the divine agent of God who creates, sustains, and preserves the spiritual life of those who place their trust in Christ. It is the Holy Spirit who will bring every believer into the full consummation of his salvation by granting him eternal glory in the presence of God. And it should be made clear that the Holy Spirit is not simply an influence or an impersonal power emanating from God. The Holy Spirit is a person, the third member of the Trinity, equal in every way to God the Father and God the Son, now there's two types of people probably in the room today. There are people that might have a little bit of a charismatic background that might say things like this. As a matter of fact, this happened at the 830 service. Like, I come from a church and this guy told me this. He said, This church isn't like where I came from. I said, Where did you come from? He goes, I came from a charismatic church. Like, okay, all right. He looked at me and I looked at him like, we're not like that. So there's a type of people that are like, man, the Holy Spirit's the number one thing in every service, and we just get super excited, and when we say Holy Spirit, we jump up and down, and we dance, and we run all around, and all these things. So there's those folks, and then there's people who have overcorrected, and when they hear the word Holy Spirit, some of you in this room right now, you just got nervous. You're like, I've grown up a Baptist, I just heard the word Holy Spirit, and my back just started sweating. Can I tell you that both of those extremes are wrong? The Holy Spirit is part of the Trinity. He's the loving, part of the loving Godhead who, who cares for us and loves us and indwells us. He's a wonderful part of the, crea- uh, of the creating being of God. The Holy Spirit functions with the mind, with the emotions, and with the will of those who are saved. He loves the saved. He communicates, teaches, comforts, and chastises and corrects the saints. Christians can lie to him. Christians can grieve him, which means to sadden him, quench him, tell him no, test him, and resist him. Nonbelievers can blaspheme him. And ultimately reject him. The Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 21. Holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. He's the primary source of our spiritual development and growth. Jude, verse number 20. The Bible speaks of his omniscience, his, his omnipotence, and his omnipresence. Omniscience, he's all-knowing. Omnipotence, he's all-powerful. Omnipresence, he's everywhere at all time. The, the Bible talks about his divine glory and his holiness. He is called God, Lord, Spirit of God, Spirit of the Lord, Spirit of Jehovah, the Spirit of the Father, the Spirit of the Son, the Spirit of Jesus, and the Comforter and the Advocate for believers. In our passage, Romans chapter 8, verses 5 to... to eleven, Paul continues to show us the countless benefits of the Holy Spirit, and truly the countless benefits of being saved are what the Bible calls justification. Verse number one: there is now therefore no condemnation or, or, or no eternal judgment to them who are in Christ, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit that, that one of the benefits of our justification is that we, we will never be Condemned as our world takes a sharp turn away from God. Which I don't think you have to be a theologian to see that. The world is literally going mad. you're called a hater if you say things like four and five-year-old children shouldn't be encouraged to transition. It's the issue of our day. If you say, no, no, God created, the Bible says, male and female created he them. The way you were created is the way God intended for you to be created, the greatest joy in your life is not trying to change that. The greatest joy in your life is living in the fullness of how God created you. And and, and you're literally called hateful if you say that four and five-year-olds shouldn't be thinking those issues. Our world is going crazy. And, it, and it's not just an American thing, it's... Not just a California thing. For years, people are like, California, the land of fruits and nuts. And I've said for years to my friends who say idiotic things like that, you better export Christ to California because we'll export our fruits and nuts to you. Like, oh, that'll never happen. I live in Texas. Some of you even here this morning, like, I want to live in Texas. I believe in their politics. Bro, I'm from Texas. You better recognize, homie, real quick, that you're one vote away from being as jacked up as we are. Oh, no, no, we're not. Oh, yes, yes, you are. I love the state of Texas. I can't wait for it to fall back into Mexican hands. Maybe they'll get their Mexican food right in Texas if that would happen. Because I tell you, there's nothing in the world worse than Tex-Mex. Can I get an amen in the crowd? People are like, Tex-Mex is great. That tastes like trash. Oh, I love it. I love it. Ground, ground beef in Mexican food? Are you kidding me? What are you, Taco Bell? For crying out loud. Oh, he just touched some toes, didn't we, now? <laughs> some of the young single guys and the staff members at Canyon Ridge are like, Taco Bell, my sacred cow, that's what will be in heaven. The world's gone mad, and <laughs> so have I. <laughs> Well, in a world that is going mad or has gone mad, if we're not sure of our salvation, we're going to really struggle. There's going to be grave difficulty in our life because the truth, the, the reality of this, the greatest gift God could give us is what, I, what we'll call eternal security or est- assurance of our salvation. If you believe that you could die or or lose your salvation, I mean, every time that you sin, can I be very candid with you? You're going to lose your salvation every day. You're probably going to lose your salvation if you're like me every day, many times every day. Because if you're like me, I don't know about anybody else in the room. But but there are just things that, that just trip me up. And one of the things that really trips me up is Chris Chadwick is being in the fast lane and people drive slow. I'm telling you, every time that happens, I sin. If you're that person, you're an agent of Satan. The fast lane's not to drive 65 in. The fast lane's drive to drive 95 in. You say, oh, well, I thought that that's speeding, and speeding is a sin. Okay, church boy, stay in the slow lane. (laughs) Now, I'm kidding. You're probably right. But I'm just telling you, we all have things that some of the men in here are like, oh, I agree with pastor. And some of the women are like, we shouldn't have come today. Shut up. Here's the reality. I'm being funny to prove a bigger point. That we all sin every day. And if sin separates you from God after salvation, then you know, there's no menial, venial sins. The Bible's not a Catholic book. It's God's book. And if you sin a little or you sin a lot and it separates you from God every time you sin, then you're going to have to get saved every day and probably a 100 times every day. Because your bad thoughts would separate you from God and your bad words would separate you from God and your fear would separate you from God and your anxiety would separate you from God and your frustration would separate you from God and and worry would separate you from God and you name it, it would separate you from God. So there would be absolutely no confidence that you would ever be with the Lord and you could never truly know that you're redeemed, you could never truly know that you're saved. so the Bible's pretty clear. Let me rephrase that. The Bible is extremely clear that when you're saved, you're saved for eternity. Well, how? Verses 5 to 8 of our text. Salvation brings a change of nature. Salvation brings a change of nature. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve fell, they sinned against God. The nature of mankind changed. We were created innocent, but sin distorted everything about us. Everything about us. Sin affected our nature in major ways. Look at verse number 5. The Bible says, for they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. The word... The phrase, they that are after, literally means this, have a quality of being, a fundamental essence, a bent or a disposition for they that have a, they that are after the flesh. It just means this. I'll tell you what it means and then I'll come back and define it a little more clearly. It means a person who doesn't know Christ, a person who's never been saved, a person who's never been redeemed. Whatever word you want to use, they are without hope. They are without Christ. They that are after the flesh, they have a a bent towards sin. They that are after the flesh, implying a a sinfulness, the word flesh, a, a proneness to sin, a carnal nature, the seat of carnal appetites and desires, sinful passions. Those who are flesh are, if I could say it this way, with as much grace as I know how to give if you're in the flesh, if you're without Christ, if you're unsaved, then you're unforgiven. Then you're unredeemed. You're unregenerated. You're unsaved. Well, how do you say that? It's just what God's word says doesn't make me a bad person for speaking the truth that's what god's word says they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh prior to salvation this is where everyone was if you have your bibles turn over to romans chapter 3 verse number 10 the bible says as it is written there is none righteous no not one there is none that understand it. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Listen to what he's saying about all of us prior to salvation. Their throat is an open sepulcher. With their tongues they have used deceit. The poison of asp or vipers or cobras it would all be defined as that uh, is under their lips whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness their feet are swift to shed blood destruction and misery are in their, are in their ways and the way of peace have they not known and there is no fear of God before their eyes this is who we all were They that are after the flesh do mind, verse number five in Romans 8, do mind the things of the flesh. The word mind means to actively think about, to focus one's attention on. The word involves the will, the affections, and the conscience. They willfully, they that are after the flesh, they that are sinners, they who are without Christ, do actively, intentionally, uh, voluntarily think about the things of the flesh things of the flesh, sinful things. Carnal appetites is what it means. Carnal desires or sinful desires and affections, whether they're physical or moral. Without Christ in their hearts, this is the basic disposition of people towards sin. They do mind. They think about the things of the Flesh. They are a prisoner to the law of sin. Now make no mistake, I'm not saying that if people who are without Christ don't have a measure of moral goodness from a human paradigm. There are some people who who I know without Christ that are nice, good, moral people. And there are some Christians that I know that 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 man, they're they're not good. So so I'm not saying that you become a Christian, you become the greatest person ever. or, Or if you're not a Christian, you're the worst person ever. We're talking about the condition of the inner man and the mind of the individual. That without Christ, apart from Jesus, apart from salvation, that we do focus our attention on The things of the flesh, which is exactly what the verse says. do mind the things of the flesh. We pay attention to, give our hearts over. We focus our attention on the things of the flesh. And that's what we think about. And Proverbs chapter 23, verse number seven teaches us this. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. What you think about determines who you are, not what you do. Do you hear me? What you think about determines who you are, not what you do. As he thinketh in his heart, so is he. And there is very clearly in our text a focus on the flesh. Look at verse number 6. For to be carnally minded is death. Now, Paul does something really cool in Romans chapter 8. He takes the first part of verse number 5, and he talks about the negative. And the first part of 6 and the negative. And then he's going to contrast those back and forth for a couple verses. So we'll look at all the negatives, and then we'll look at the positives, the contrast. And in verse number 6, for to be carnally minded is death. Carnally minded is a, a mind of the flesh. He's saying the same thing, a different way to draw our attention to it to draw emphasis to the idea, to draw emphasis to the reality that if you are carnally minded, your mind is on the flesh. It's the mind a man is born with. It's the mind we inherited from our parents. Notice that he says to be carnally minded is death. Paul doesn't say it leads to death. Paul doesn't say that one day you'll become death. He says it is death. What a difficult reality. See, here's so often what people say, well, pastor, I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to do the best that I can. And when I stand before God, maybe my good works will outweigh my bad works. We'll see what God says. Brothers, friends, He's already said what it will be. He's already said that it is present active tense. It is death. We could cross-reference this with John chapter 3, verse 36, where the Bible says, He that believeth not is condemned already. That dude you work with that doesn't know Jesus as his Savior, it's not like maybe God will show grace. No, no, no. God's judgment is sadly already on that individual based on the authority of the Word of God. We see the finality of the fleshly mind, that the state is already determined by God. Notice verse number seven, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. We see the fight of the fleshly mind. The word enmity means deep-seated, ill will, hatred, hostility. It's the same idea where we get the word enemy. The word enmity is a deep-seated ill will because verse number seven, The carnal or the fleshly, he's just using a different word to say the same basic thing. The fleshly mind is the enemy of God. The mind without Christ is a mind that is literally the enemy of God. That's why Paul can say with such power and authority what we read earlier in Romans chapter 3 their throat is an open sepulchre, their tongues have used deceit, the poison of asp is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing, their feet are swift to shed blood, destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace have they not known, and there is no fear of God before their eyes. Why? Because their heart's at enmity with God, and it's a fight. That's why in a world gone mad, if you're a believer, you hear some things that are going on in the world and things that people in the world are saying, and you're literally going like, I can't believe they're saying that. Why would they think that? Why would they act this way? I can't believe that, that, that we're voting on this in, in whatever state or, or house that, that you're thinking of or in Washington, D.C. I can't believe this is said in our elementary schools or our colleges. I just can't believe this is going on. Why is it? Because the carnal mind is the enemy of God. The mind without Christ is the enemy of God. If you don't know Christ, you're the enemy of God. No, no, I I, I like God. I, I have crystals in my house and an angel, too. I'm not being funny. I help my neighbors. I I believe there's a force out there somewhere that's bigger. Maybe it's a, it's a this or it's a that. No, no, I, I don't hate anybody or anything. I'm not anyone's enemy. Dear friends, listen to what I'm about to say. Then you need to understand this. God is your enemy. The carnal mind. I'm not trying to shock value. I I love this passage. We're going to get some good stuff here. But we have to understand the reality before we get to the wonder. Notice the failure of the fleshly mind, verse number 8. So then they that are in the flesh, again, just remember the phrase in the flesh means without Christ. We would use the word because it's a Bible word, lost. They're not saved, which is another Bible word. They that are in the flesh cannot please God. The word please means bring pleasure to This is an active phrase to please, to soften one's heart towards. If they're without God, they cannot bring pleasure to God. If you're in church today and you came to make God happy, but you haven't accepted Jesus as your Savior, you're not making God happy. That's not me saying it, that's the Holy Spirit saying it. If you're without Christ, and you came today to go, "Man, I hope that God's happy with me because it came, and you're not a believer, you can't make God happy because you're in the flesh and you can't please God." I mean, salvation, that this is the nature of man prior to salvation. This is why prior to salvation you have no security that you'll be right with God because there's no way you could be. You can't even please God, no matter how hard you try, before salvation. There's no way, there's no means of pleasing God prior to salvation. He has already determined that there's nothing any of us could ever do. We're all in the same boat, that apart from Christ, when we're still in sin, rejecting the offer of salvation that Jesus gives us, the the nudging, the pulling of the Holy Spirit of God that he offers us, if we're without Christ, there is no no way we can please God. And someone could go, Well, I I think God's happy with me. I don't want to be offensive in, in the slightest way, but you're theologically delusional. Because God is extremely clear in His Word that without Jesus Christ, you cannot please God. That without submission and surrender to Christ, and you might be a teenager that's 12 years old going, I, I don't know about, I don't know, may, may it's, it's past, ah, ah. or you might be 55 years old going, I don't, ah, ah. just what the scripture says. You can't please God until you surrender to Christ. But the nature changes. There's an effect of salvation. Remember I said that, that Paul does a compare and contrast with every verse. And we looked at all the negative, and I want to look at the positive now. Look at verse number 5 again, but part B of verse number 5, where the Scripture says, They that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. They that are after the flesh, mind the things of the flesh. We could read this this way. They that are after the Spirit, mind the things of the Spirit. Again, the word mind means to actively think about, to focus one's attention on. It involves the will, the will the affections, the conscience, that I'm, I'm actively choosing to think about the things of God. I'm actively choosing to think the things of the Spirit, those holy and elevated thoughts and actions that the Spirit imparts and the Spirit cherishes. Through the influence of the Spirit of God, Christians have the same disposition, the same, if you will, frame of mind as Christ. Philippians chapter 4 says these words exactly. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. I'm to have the exact same mindset, a changed mindset. I'm to have the same mindset as Christ. Need to be clear on this point. I'm not saying because the Bible isn't saying, I'm not saying that if you at times struggle with your thought life or you struggle to control your mind that you're unsaved. That is not what's being said. What is being said is do you have a desire to work to control your mind and are you, or are you fully given over to the control or the passions of the flesh? When you once focus on whatever brought you some temporary sense of pleasure or joy or excitement, prior to salvation just whatever you wanted to think about you thought about you might not have acted upon it you might not have jumped in deep with it but but you thought about it you, you had a, a desire that it would happen you wished that you could act on it but because of societal restrictions or regulations or whatever you you didn't or because of the potential consequences you didn't but your mind was there and, and, and you focus on it day in and day out and day in and day out and there's no control to that. There's no reigning that in. There's no internal desire to have freedom from those thoughts. You'd rather give yourself fully to them. According to the Scripture then you're just not saved. Because it's salvation they that are after the Spirit want to think about the things of the Spirit. That's why it's concerning to every Bible-preaching, Jesus-loving pastor at Canyon Ridge and all over the world when Christians find great pleasure in the debauchery of the world. When you can view porn with impunity, when you laugh at some of the crash humor of our world, When you're not broken emotionally, when you hear about the sin that is being perpetrated on children and women and men, when you're just like, yeah, that's just kind of funny. Bro, be honest with you, that's deeply concerning. Why? Because the Spirit would never lead you to those thoughts. Well, I just want to go out, get lit up, get laid, have my life the way that I want. I'm just going to tell you right now, you're probably not saved. I'm not trying to be rude, and I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm just saying, according to Romans chapter 5, they that are after the Spirit, mind the things of the Spirit. Now, anybody could think that, and any Christian could sin, but you can't live in a state of continual pleasure that way. And we have to focus our attention... On the Spirit of God. Notice verse number six. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, the contentment of a changed mind. To be spiritually minded. Again, it's a tendency or an inclination to think about the things of the Spirit to be possessed and controlled by the spirit, to be dominated by the spirit. You just find yourself, one of the great assurances of salvation is you just find yourself thinking about the things of God. You just find yourself thinking about the actions that, that portray a Christ-like nature and a Christ-like behavior. You're just spiritually minded. And it's Life. Here's what Satan wants to tell you. Man, don't don't think too hard about being a Christian. I mean, come on. If you do that, life will be so boring. As as like the bondage to anger is fun? Like the bondage to depression is joyful? I mean, Satan's a liar and he's a deceiver. He's a destroyer. He wants to kill, steal, and destroy. He has no good intention for your life. Hey, bro, just just go have sex with her and then and then and and then keep a side chick too. I mean, you got a main chick, but you keep a couple on the side too. That way, if she's acting up, you got other people, and, and it'll all be good. Oh yeah, yeah. when you be grounded. <laughs> That's not from your father. God, God's never going to lead you down that road. Hey, young ladies, listen to me. God will never lead you down a road to be some dude's side chick. If, if somebody wants to, you to be a side chick, would you please introduce me to him? I got friends in the jail. Officers in there. I'll get extra rations. I'm teasing. I'll teach your dad what to do. We'll visit him. <laughs> well, I wouldn't do it. I'll just think about it. Yeah, look at the text. Notice he doesn't say in verse number six to be spiritually active. You see the text? He says to be spiritually minded. What? you think about. And here's the deal. Nobody in the room knows what you're thinking about. Like, I kind of look around. I've been pastoring for uh, 30 years, 20 years as a senior pastor, uh, almost 30 years, 28 and a half years. And, uh, and I could kind of tell when people are like, in, it seems like I could tell people in the service and not in the service. But I get that wrong on a regular basis. Debbie will come home. She says, How was oh, it? Oh, was great. Hey, did you meet this person? Yeah, they didn't really seem into it. She's like, Oh, really? Because they told me they loved it and they're coming back and now it's Bernie Lund. And, um, and you're just never sure. I can't tell for sure what you're thinking. But God can. To be spiritually minded is life and peace. Continue looking just because of the sake of time. I want you to see this word life and peace. The word life is is a life that satisfies. Even when circumstances are difficult. Even when life is challenging. Even when the sickness might take the person away from us prematurely. Even when the job fails and peters out, even when a friend walks away, it's a life that satisfies by being indwelt by God even when circumstances are difficult. It's the life of joy and glory in the kingdom of God which awaits the truly redeemed, saved believer. And he says this, life and peace. Peace meaning health and welfare, every kind of good. Now, that doesn't mean financial freedom and that if you live for Christ, God's going to make you a millionaire and give you 12 acres on the ocean and you'll be the mayor of La Jolla. It just means God has something good for you. And how does God give you peace? Peace. Well, Romans chapter 5, verse number 1 is really clear. We are being justified, therefore being justified by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We're justified means to take us to our original status at creation with God where we're back to a state of innocence like Adam was when he was created. We are justified by faith because of the work of Jesus Christ by whom we also have access, verse number 2, by faith in into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of glory. We are justified by faith and the product of justification, we see in 5.1, we see here and many other places throughout Scripture, a tremendous amount of places in Scripture that we have peace. Yet we live in a world without it. We live in a world devoid of Peace. We have a mental health weekend are coming up on the 29th, and I really pray that you'll come because I want you to understand with certainty that if you're saved, joy and peace are the expected state of the believer's mind. You are to live in a state of joy and peace. God has that for you. God expects that for you. God desires that for you. All the money in the world would never compares to joy and Peace. There are areas of growth. There are areas of growth in my life and in your life where we need to grow into that place of maturing peace and maturing joy and maturing contentment in Christ. But understand this. That's the expected place for the believer far too long we've gotten our marching orders from the world that tell believers we need to be in despair and people honestly feel guilty if they're not so they manufacture often this drama that goes on in their life they're addicted to drama that goes on in their life because there's a measure of, of serotonin release when they when they can conjure up this anxiety and and, and discontentedness and so they're constantly manufacturing it when god says no, no i just want you to live in peace And the world tells us we need to be frustrated or angry or irritated or worried or insecure or have some addiction or loneliness or coping or fear or distress or apprehension or nervousness when God has promised us that the product of salvation is to bring peace to the believer. That's why Jesus said in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. He doesn't say your peace I give you. He literally says my peace I give unto you. The peace of Jesus he gives to us, not as the world gives, meaning Jesus doesn't give it for a little while and take it back and give it and take it back and give it and take it back. No, he gives it and it stays. Not as the world give giveth I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled. Stop being worried. Stop being fearful. Why am I not worried or fearful? Because the Jesus peace that he gave me. He doesn't stop there. Philippians chapter 4 verse number 7. Six says, be careful for nothing. The word careful means worried, anxious. So where we get the word, a negative anxiety, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Bernie and I have faced a really difficult week this week. All of our pastoral staff has, all of our staff leaders. It's been a difficult week for us. And Bernie and I were praying this morning together, and he just started expressing gratitude for the Lord, to the Lord for the struggle. By prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Verse number seven. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God, which passes understanding, literally means this, which is beyond comprehension, which is beyond calculation. How come you're not falling apart? I guess it's just the peace of Jesus. Explain that to me. I got saved. Okay, what else? This is both my personalities talking right now. Yeah, that's just it. I can't really explain it. It's beyond my understanding. I wish I had that peace. You can have that peace. How can I have that peace? Realize you're a sinner. Repent of it, which means to agree with God that you've sinned against him. And put your faith and trust in only Jesus Christ for eternal life believing in his death, his burial, and his resurrection three days later. Put all your faith in Jesus, and you'll be saved. And then I would have the peace that you have? 100%. The peace of God, which passeth all understanding. Colossians chapter 3, verse number 15, believers, says this, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. The word let means to allow, meaning you can resist it. Allow the peace of God to rule in your hearts, to have control of your hearts, to which you're called in one body and be thankful. You're called to this, and our whole church is called. This is what called in one body. Talking to the church at Colossae. The whole church, Canyon Ridge Baptist, we are called as a church body to live in peace. Don't deliver anxiety here because we're called to live in peace. This is what God has for us. And, 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 and this is what God desires for us. And one of the great assurances of our salvation is a mind that is changed, where we're spiritually minded and we're focused on peace. I don't have time to finish the message. Or the text. So let me conclude with this. I was born in the greatest decade ever. I was waiting for some more people to say amen, but you don't know what decade I was born. I was born in the 70s. If you just laughed, I pray you break something on the way out the door. (laughs) I'm teasing I was born in the 70s, 1972. I was born into a pastor's family, as many of you know, and, and I live really, I, I got, I, I came to Christ. I finally understood the gospel with clarity and uh, came to Christ June 16th, 1983. I was 10 years old. I'd be 11 in the, the following September. Uh, so I've been a Christian now 40 years, but I, I've, I've been in church every Sunday of my life other than 14. Um, and when I was in high school, when I was in junior high, uh, my dad and my family lived in South Dallas. If you're from Texas, I, I lived in South Dallas. We lived in a place called Pleasant Grove. It's a community right next to Oak Cliff that, that's where I live went to school there played football there was really excited football in Texas is just that's all that matters in life and I broke some bones and went to the doctor and the doctor said well I'll put a cast on him to my mom my mom said well should he play or not the doctor says does it matter what I say and I looked at the doctor and said no and he goes right so I kept playing football I mean it's just my life and then my parents moved from Texas between my eighth and ninth grade year to Oceanside California 40 miles north of here. And my dad started a church in Oceanside. I went to Tri-City Christian School. They didn't have a football team, but they did have a basketball team. And so uh, I played on the basketball team and and soccer team, which is kind of not a sport. And um, I like soccer. It's, it, but, it's, I mean, come on. If you only score one point after 90 minutes, is it really a sport? And so it just—it was a lot of work and a lot of running, and I just was using—I used it to get in shape for basketball. I enjoyed it; it was—it was fun. And I played soccer. And those of you that played soccer, please don't send me an email. Don't come complaining after the service. Don't talk to me. If you played soccer, just don't talk to me. Um, I'm teasing. I'm teasing. I'm teasing. 100. I know. I know many of you weren't athletes, so you played soccer. And. Um, <laughs> It was nice to be the pastor here. Bernie will be filling in from now on. No. Um, and so I played soccer. I had a great time. And I really fell in love with Southern California. I really fell in love with Oceanside. It was a wonderful place. I, I thought I'd have friends for life. Well, I'm not sure exactly what happened. I'm really not. I just know I showed up at home one time uh, at the, in the summer of my 10th, after my 10th grade year, going into my 11th grade year. And my parents said, we're moving to Spokane, Washington. And I was like, w- what? We're moving where? I had just gotten a job. I just—I was about to get a job at the San Diego County Fair where back then in a three-week period, we would make about four grand in three weeks, me and a couple friends of mine. And um, I was like, w- what happened? And I had no idea what had happened. And um, my parents just felt led of the Lord to move to Spokane and start another church. And and so we, we moved up there, but when we moved, I got really ticked off at the Lord. I got ticked off at everybody. But I was like some of you. I could be mad on the inside and nobody knows it. I could be seething in rage and nobody knows it. Now, it's not the case. But back then, I could do that. Back then, that was just me. I was trying to not cause problems for my parents. Church planning is a really difficult task, and we moved to one of the coldest places in America. We moved from one of the coolest places, like like like, like cool in the game, cool places in America, and we moved up to Washington and played basketball and, and really loved that, but the, the, friend, the people in Washington, especially Spokane, if you're from Washington, I, I just, I mean, I, I lived most of my childhood on the west side of the state and the east side of the state, my junior, senior year in high school. And, and Washingtonians are just different. I don't say that rudely, but they just think differently, and they say words like actually, and it's just kind of nutty, the things that they do, and, and it was just different for me to move there, and we moved there, and I never really fully connected with anyone. I went to a school where kids had all gone. Some of you probably moved, maybe if you were in the military or whatever, and you moved, and, and you moved to a school where pe- people had been in the same school since kindergarten, and, and if you're an athlete, I joined a basketball team where guys had been playing together for for either 13 or seven years and I came in and took a senior starting position which boy that endeared me to the school and to the team and and it was just not not great for me and I really got angry with the Lord like some of you are right now now here's the deal I never skipped church matter of fact I went to church Sunday morning Sunday night Wednesday night I helped my parents because they we, we literally had no money. And so I would go to school I'd, I'd, during basketball season. I'd be at practice at 5.30 in the morning. I'd practice. I'd go to school all day. I'd get off, out of school, go home, do some homework for a couple of hours, eat dinner, and then at night, my family and I, we would, we would clean office buildings just for some money. We'd clean office buildings as a family in the evening. So I would work from like, I'd be up from like, like 4.45, 5 o'clock in the morning, and we'd get home about midnight. And I just kept that for a couple of years till my mom started a business and supplemented some other stuff. And I was angry. Still went to church. I still tithed. Amen. I still gave to missions. I even still went on outreach. But I was ticked off like you can't imagine. Right out of high school, I bought the coolest car ever built. A 1982 Subaru GL. Four cylinders of sheer awesomeness. 13-inch wheels. Off the factory, zero to 20 in 4.5 seconds. I love that car. Couldn't get it stuck. It was cool. Kept it clean. Had a huge dent on the right front fender. It was great. I love that car. If I could find another one, I'd sell Debbie's car and buy it. <laughs> love that car. It's awesome. Enjoyed it. But I walked away from the Lord. But I walked away from the Lord like some of you have walked away from the Lord, where nobody knows you've walked away from the Lord but you and the Lord. And maybe your closest family. And one night, I was, I was a dancer. I know it's hard to imagine, but if you saw me, I was fly. I was the original Chris and Cross, and I did make people jump. Um, if you're not from there, just YouTube it. Uh, and one night, me and some friends were coming home from the happening spot called Coeur d'Alene, Idaho you wonder why I'm laughing if you've ever been to Coeur d'Alene you know I just lied that's like saying I want to move to Nebraska nobody wants to be there (laughs) if you're from Nebraska I apologize it was nice having you as a guest Um, and one night I'm coming home I didn't drink I didn't use drugs but I liked what Chris liked and I didn't like what Jesus liked I knew God was calling me to be a pastor, but I was trying to do everything I could. And he wouldn't stop calling me, so I kept going deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper into the world to try to get him to stop. But here's the thing about the calling of God. He doesn't stop doing what he's doing. And if you're saved, he's not going to stop doing what he's doing. And I'm coming home from Coeur one night, it's somewhere around July, and I'm ending, I'm on I-90, Interstate 90, and I'm coming around a bend, and I'm moving from moving northwest to moving straight west, right outside of Post Falls, Idaho, I could take you to the rest stop, I mean, today I could take you to the rest stop, I'm listening to Keith Sweat on my tape deck, and, and, I, and I'm driving, and my friends are asleep in the car, it's about 1.15, and I take that, that westerly turn uh, on the road, that westerly angle, and God says to me, Chris, you've got until september 1st to get your life right and if you don't september 2nd i'll see you personally you say he didn't say that to you he said it so clearly i thought somebody in the car said it but i knew the two dudes in the car didn't know anything about jesus they would go to church with me i, I, I think today one of them is saved and I'm, and I'm not sure about the other one and i i I was like, what in the world? So I popped out. I loved music. I popped out Keith Sweat and I put in Take Six because they're a Christian acapella group. And I thought that would drown it out and give me a measure of comfort and peace. And I just started listening to it. And God just kept getting louder. September 1st, September 1st, September 1st, September 1st. I've been messing with you long enough. September 1st, September 1st. And every day after September 1st, when I think about the things of the flesh, hey, September 1st is coming. September 1st is coming. September 1st is coming. September 1st is coming. And by the grace and goodness and kindness of the Lord, the Spirit of God kept coming to me and speaking to me and speaking to me. You say, well, my story's different. Great. Your story's your story. This is just mine. And he kept coming to me. And finally, I just had to say, I know that I'm saved because God's convicting me deeply. I have no peace. I have no joy. I couldn't figure out why my unsaved friends had more fun than I did. But I figured it out pretty quickly that they had a different father. And their father didn't care and mine did. And I remember like August the 30th because September 1st is coming in San Dimas, California at Bible College submitting to the Lord. Took a while to make it Public took a while to make it sincere but saying lord whatever you want to do in my life i'm going to do it and here's the thing bring the title slide up i have assurance of salvation because god didn't let me keep sinning without the deepest of conviction in my life. And according to this text in Hebrews chapter 12, if you can sin and sin and just be in sin and there not be an overwhelming sense of conviction in your life, listen to what I'm about to say. You're not saved. Because God won't let you stay in sin without prompting you and pulling you to himself. Well, but I prayed a prayer. Prayer doesn't save you, Jesus does. If you're here today and you've not trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you need to do that today. And if you're a believer and you're constantly struggling with whether or not you're saved, you have to answer the question, what am I focused on? Who am I living for? What am I living for? Because this is what I found. Satan has no problem ruining my life. And he has no problem ruining your life. Matter of fact, he high-fives the demons when he ruins lives. He has one objective, to steal from you everything that is joyful in you, to destroy you and to kill you. That's all that he desires. He's evil on every level. His agenda is evil on every level. He hates you. So people who hate you lie to you. People who hate you like watching you in misery. And Satan gets a thrill out of watching you as a believer in misery. Pastor, pray for me. My life is in turmoil. Can I tell you why your life's in turmoil? Because you're following what Satan tells you to do. But if you're kept by the spirit, the spirit is gonna keep pulling you back to himself. He's gonna keep pulling you back to the place of peace. He's gonna pull you back to the place of joy. He's gonna pull you back to the place of contentment. He's gonna pull you back to a place of gentleness. He's gonna pull you back to a place of long suffering. He's gonna pull you to a place of kindness. Satan's gonna pull you to anger, animosity, violence, Horn, hatred, divorce, uh, 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 breaking apart of families, the, the, the hatred of parent towards child, dif- dif- difficult and disgusting, perverted sexual behavior that has one intent, to destroy you and those around you. That's all he cares about. And God says this, I love you. I loved you so much that I sent my son to die for you and to give you victory over all of that. Live in the victory that I give you by repenting of your sin and trusting Christ as your Savior. Father, bless our time in the word. I pray you to help us this morning. Thank you for listening. Find more messages every week at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, join us for a service. We meet at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 p.m.